Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. Frequently, as Catholics, we find ourselves up against some rather stern objections to certain Catholic teachings. There are a lot of great resources out there in book form, and some of my favorites come from author Scott Hahn, who also just happens to produce a podcast series called The Road to Emmaus through the St. Paul Center. Today, we start the sampler with an episode titled Dealing with Anti-Catholic Issues. This is Scott Hahn. This is Scott Hahn, and I want to welcome you to The Road to Emmaus, a podcast from the St. Paul Center. Grow deeper in love with the Blessed Sacrament, with Mystery of the Altar, daily meditations on the Eucharist, the perfect companion for weekly Eucharistic adoration or for a quick five minutes of prayer each day. The Pope was a doctrine that was very difficult for me, and so was Mary. Both of those were dealt with in terms of historical evidence and biblical evidence, and basically, I was done. Purgatory was different. I came to a conclusion that sufficient evidence exists for an intermediate state between heaven and hell on the basis of the Bible and ancient Jewish practices for praying for the dead and evidences in the early Christian church that I'll review this morning but there was still a very big emotional block. Very big, it's hard to describe. I've tried and I've really failed every time to put it into words because, well, for two reasons. On the one hand, as an evangelical Protestant, I had firm convictions about the finished work of Jesus Christ, that he accomplished our redemption on the cross. Those convictions I still hold fast to, and every Christian, Every Catholic must. The work of our redemption is accomplished. It is finished. But the application of that redemptive work of Christ by the Holy Spirit is another matter. One that I did not really come to grips with because it involves suffering, which nobody wants to come to grips with. Either suffering in this life or suffering afterwards to expiate or to repay or to provide restitution for effects of sin. But that distinction is going to be crucial from the beginning of our time today until the end. But Christ has accomplished our redemption. It's over and done with. He has finished it. But then he sends the Holy Spirit to apply it. And the application of redemption is just as essential. We don't have a binary deity, the Father and the Son. We've got a trinitary deity, a family, a Father, Son, and a Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I come to baptize with fire and spirit. And so when the Spirit comes at Pentecost, tongues of fire appear. And whenever the Holy Spirit appears, there is holy fire. And when we are taken up into the Spirit, There we are consumed with a passionate, burning love, the furnace of Christ's heart, the reality of the Holy Spirit, the fiery love of God. But that is not because Christ's work is not enough. It's rather the application of the work of Jesus Christ. Now that block 
was probably, that obstacle was one of the biggest. It was the biggest for me as far as the doctrine of purgatory is concerned. And I would suggest that for many non-Protestants, for many Catholics, it's an obstacle too, because I think I find in discussions that many Catholics, as well as Protestants, share this misunderstanding. And so I would say the second problem that I had to deal with, and we're also going to deal with today, and that is misconceptions of purgatory. I come across people in the church who are firmly convinced that purgatory gives people a second chance. It doesn't. Now, you might think, well, that's just a, a non-Catholic misconception, but no, it's a common Catholic misconception that if you've died and you've been alienated from God, purgatory is your second chance. That's not the case. It totally distorts the church's teaching. Those people who, in God's grace and mercy, are allowed to enter into purgatory died in a state of grace, not just with supernatural faith and hope, but with supernatural charity that was alive in their hearts and lives. That is the prerequisite for entering into purgatory. You cannot die in a state of mortal sin. You cannot die estranged from God. You cannot die in any way hostile to God, having committed yourself to valuing things of the world more than the creator of the world. You cannot do those things and enter into purgatory, much less heaven. Purgatory is not a second chance. It's only for those that God has from all eternity destined for heaven, and it's only for those who die in a state of grace. Furthermore, we've got to clarify the fact that it is not to make up for Christ's unfinished work. I've already said that, but that too is a common misconception that continually needs clarification. There's nothing inadequate about the work of Christ. It's finished, but it needs to be applied. And likewise, some historians suggest that purgatory is a medieval invention because the word purgatorio is not common. It's not frequently found in the early church's writings. In fact, it's very infrequent and rare. Now, you'll see that the word is rare, but the teaching is not just common, but practically everywhere, going back to the earliest times. And then finally, some real cynics and some real anti-Catholics would suggest that purgatory is just simply and essentially a money-making scheme to sell indulgences and to make money for the stipends that the priest receives at Mass. Now, seeing as the stipends range from around, you know, they, they vary, but they're around $5 per Mass, no one's going to be getting rich saying Mass. And as far as indulgence is concerned, we're going to have to deal with that at a later time, but that just reflects a total misunderstanding of what the Church, in fact, teaches about indulgences. So these are common misconceptions that we want to put aside. We want to understand what the church teaches. We want to understand why the church teaches that. And we want to go into the Bible and into church history to confirm the teaching. But first of all, a definition. I take this now from the New Catholic Encyclopedia. Purgatory is the state, place, or condition in the next world, which will continue into the last judgment, where the souls of those who die in the state of grace, but not yet free from all imperfection, make expiation, that is, restitution, for unforgiven venial sins and mortal sins that have already been forgiven, and by doing so are purified before they enter heaven. Now, before I proceed, I'm going to have to deal with an elementary objection that's going to come up over and over again, and that is, what is this idea of mortal versus venial sin? I mean, what kind of cost accounting is this? Now, 
not just anti-Catholics, but non-Catholics have a question about this. And I, I'm going to make that distinction clear right now. There are millions of non-Catholics with whom we share many things in common. But there is something else out there, and that is the anti-Catholic. The anti-Catholic might be Protestant, might be Orthodox, might be atheist, might be agnostic, might be just nothing. But there are people with a passionate desire to do in the Catholic Church and the faith of Catholics. That is something altogether distinct from just being a non-Catholic. We should hold hatred for neither. We should love them both, but we should keep clear in our minds that when you meet a non-Catholic, chances are they love the Lord and they try to follow the Bible the best they can. We need to give them the benefit of the doubt. We need to extend charity to them. And even if you discover that they have got a deep anti-Catholic streak that's almost venomous, we continue to do the same thing. But keep clear in your mind that there are non-Catholics and then there are anti-Catholics. Both groups have questions about this distinction. I did too. And then all of a sudden I came across, read, and then pondered a passage in 1 John chapter 5. It says this, If anyone sees his brother committing what is not a mortal sin, he will ask, and God will give him life for those whose sin is not mortal. There is sin which is mortal. I do not say that one is to pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is not mortal. Now, John is talking about two kinds of sin. One is mortal, that is deadly. You cannot pray for somebody in mortal sin and sacrifice and have that prayer intrinsically be effective. Whereas if somebody is in venial sin, you can actually, because you share still spiritual solidarity, you can actually sacrifice and pray on behalf of that person and, in a sense, restore them and strengthen them. Some sin kills, other sin merely wounds. All sin is despicable. You might say, well, if it's only venial, <laughs> you know, why not? That's not what the church teaches or allows or implies. Somebody could say, well, look, if what I do doesn't kill me, then why don't I go ahead and do it? Well, you wouldn't do that in natural life with your physical body. You wouldn't say, well, I'm only going to be scarred for life. I'm only going to be maimed. I'm only going to be paralyzed. Therefore, I can just go ahead and do these things. You know, third degree burns, but I can still breathe and metabolize. No, we treat our bodies with respect. We've got to learn to treat our souls the same way. Just because a venial sin does not kill, it still scars and wounds and weakens and inclines us to mortal sin. All sin is despicable to God and to those who are his children. But there's a distinction that John assumes. He doesn't feel any need to argue it, but he takes it for granted. And i got to tell you, when I first pondered this passage, it startled me because the conclusions there are striking. Let's keep that in mind because the definition assumes that prior understanding of the distinction between mortal and venial sins. Now, let's ask ourselves, what is the evidence for this? I want to share with you my own intellectual spiritual pilgrimage on this particular point. Because as I said, I didn't just have intellectual problems, I had emotional problems, psychological difficulties with this teaching. One thing I did, though, was to ask the Lord to open my mind. And I continued to pray that as I went through the evidence for and against this idea of purgatory. I have here a note card that goes back several years, long before I became a Catholic. I went through much of Scripture, as much of it as possibly pertained to the subject, and then I poured through the writings of Protestants and Catholics to see what they could do to shed light on Scripture. I have several articles summarized on this little note card. You can, 
you know, you can't really read it. I can barely read it. I'm just four inches away from it. But uh, I'm going to share with you some of the conclusions that these scholars, who are not Catholic, but open-minded scholars who are studying the Word, came to in the Old Testament. All right? And this focuses upon the belief in Sheol. Sheol. I'm going to suggest that what the Latin word purgatorio signifies, that is a place where we are purged of disordered self-love, the Hebrew word sheol can also signify or denote, just like the Greek word Hades can denote it. Three words perhaps for the same reality, with proper distinctions made if we had the time and the energy and, and the know-how and so on. But I would suggest that Hades, the Greek word, is not normally associated with just simply hellfire. Gehenna is the word that Jesus uses for hellfire, where the worm dieth not, and there's this unquenchable fire. And it's actually borrowed from the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, Gehinnom, the valley of Hinnom, which was where King Manasseh sacrificed thousands of Israelite children to Molech, a demon god. And after that, nobody wanted to live in such defiled land, so it became the garbage dump with fires continually burning. And nobody wanted to get near it because of the defilement. It was a haunt of demons. That was the image that Christ used for hell, as we normally associate it with. But Hades is a term that admits of a kind of double usage, as we'll see and as scholars have seen. For instance, L.R. Bailey, in a book, Death in the Literature of the Old Testament, speaks about how throughout the Old Testament the belief is found that the good and the evil go down the shield. It's a place where the righteous and the unrighteous go. In Brown, Driver, and Briggs, one of the most authoritative reference works for understanding Hebrew words, you can look up shield, and there you find that shield is divided into two sections, one for the evil and one for the good. You can actually find in the apocryphal work of First Enoch that it's divided up further into four sections. The evil section in the two sections, those who are evil and those who are really evil, and also uh, two sections for the good as well. R.L. Harris, in another study, speaks of Sheol as the grave. He's been heavily criticized by scholars across the board for trying to reduce the word Sheol down to being merely the grave. He especially ignored a major work in German that I came across by Afmar Kiel, and another scholar by the name of Heidel spoke of Sheol as existing in the Old Testament for the righteous. And he also used, he did a word study of the underworld or the netherworld and, and saw it associated with the evil. One of the keys I came across, however, is by a man named Alexander, an evangelical Protestant with decidedly non-Catholic leanings entitled The Old Testament View of Life After Death in Thamelios, 19... Uh, 86, I believe. He rejects a lot of views that, that would basically make the Old Testament just seem like primitive garbage. He shows that Sheol throughout the Old Testament represented the abode of the dead, the underworld, for both the wicked and the righteous. But for the wicked, it was dark and silent and terrifying and a kind of imminent or penultimate preparation for final punishment. But for the good, there was hope. Not pleasure, not comfort necessarily, but hope. Great hope. Now, working through these scholars and their studies of the Old Testament doctrine of Sheol, I'd also done my own study. I came to the conclusion that they were right. That the Old Testament has a firm teaching that you can find in many different strata or levels of 
Old Testament tradition, and there you find this belief that the soul goes on living somehow in a shadowy world where the righteous and the unrighteous have a share, although it's distinct. And it is not a pleasant place. It is not a pleasant place at all. Now, let's just take a look at a few passages to see this. We can see, for instance, in 2 Samuel 22. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. In chapter 22, verse 6, we have an important passage. This, in effect, is a, a psalm of praise written by David, talking about how he's been delivered. And he describes his earthly suffering in cataclysmic and somewhat apocalyptic imagery to show how his earthly deliverances by God are signifying the ultimate deliverance that he will undergo at the grave. He says in verse 5, For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of perdition assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. And in my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. And it goes on describing how, in verse 20 for instance, he brought me forth into a broad place. It implies that Sheol is a place of entanglement and perdition, or at least I should say it's a place where those who die go down. We see the same teaching in uh, Psalm 18, verse 5, which is practically the same psalm as we read in 2 Samuel 22. So we can skip over to, let's take a look at Psalm 86, verse 13. We can only be selective because of the limits of time, but rest assured, there are literally dozens and dozens of places where the term sheel is used. And in my version, I'm using a revised standard version, the term is simply left untranslated because it's very difficult to translate the Hebrew sheel into any English word that we, know, we, uh, we usually use. So anyway, in Psalm 86, verse 13, we see, Great is thy steadfast love toward me. Thou hast delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Thou hast delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Other passages you can look at include Psalm 116, verse 3. You can actually see the New Testament citing this passage in reference to Christ in Acts chapter 2, 27 through 31. You can almost summarize this perspective as you look at the book of Sirach, chapter 7, verse 33, where we hear, Withhold not your kindness, O Lord, from the dead. So there's a continued perspective throughout Old Testament times that God's kindness extends down to the realm of the dead, the abode of the dead, and that there is a distinction made between the righteous and the unrighteous as they await Messiah's coming. The Road to Emmaus podcast is a production of the St. Paul Center. To learn more about this episode, visit our show notes at stpaulcenter.com forward slash road. Our production team includes technical director, engineer, and producer Beckett Gitto, associate producer and writer Molly Trainer, and sound engineer and editor Joseph Palmer. Our host is Dr. Scott Hahn. Subscribe and rate The Road to Emmaus wherever you find this podcast. The St. Paul Center is a nonprofit organization facilitating life-transforming encounters with the living Word of God. To find more faith-based resources, visit stpaulcenter.com.
That was Dealing with Anti-Catholic Issues from Scott Hahn, a presentation of the St. Paul Center. You can find more of their The Road to Emmaus podcasts at stpaulcenter.com. Not all podcasts need to be lengthy to be good. This week, I stumbled upon some great short subject podcasts at 3minutetheology.com. Joan Watson has a whole library of short podcasts on almost every Catholic subject available. Because we're in May and many parishes are celebrating First Holy Communion, I thought I'd share this episode titled simply, Communion. This is Joan Watson. One question you might get frequently as a Catholic is why can't non-Catholics receive communion at Mass? Now I want to make it clear that we welcome all to the celebration of the Mass. And we hope that in light of our common baptism as Christians, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that this celebration might bring us closer together. But we don't in the Catholic Church have an open table. We don't ordinarily allow non-Catholics to receive communion. Why not? Well, the Eucharist and the reception of the Eucharist is a visible manifestation of our unity. It's our family table. And to receive communion together shows our unity of faith, of belief, of worship. In John 17, at the Last Supper, Christ prayed to his Father, Lord, may they be one as we are one. We know regrettably today that that's not always the case. We see divisions in the Christian church. And this is sad, this is a tragedy. But to open our table to non-Catholics would be to proclaim a unity that's not there. That's why I as a Catholic don't go to a non-Catholic church and receive communion. We don't go forwarding other Christian churches to receive communion. Because again, it would be to proclaim this unity of belief that isn't really there. You know, when I go forward for communion in the Catholic Church, I say amen. And that's not just amen. I believe that that is really and truly Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. It does mean that. But it also means amen. I believe everything the Catholic Church teaches. I place myself under that oath under the church. For a non-Catholic to do that would be a deception. They don't hold everything the Catholic Church teaches. In fact, for a, not, for a Catholic to go forward who doesn't believe everything the church teaches and say amen, that too would be a lie. That too would be a deception. So we don't close our communion table because we don't like non-Catholics or because we think we're better than non-Catholics. We close our communion table because it's that highest visible sign of our unity of the body of Christ. And we pray with Christ in John 17, Lord, may we be one. We pray that divisions may someday cease. And that's a little theology in three minutes. You can find more from 3-Minute Theology at 3minutetheology.com. That's three, using the numeral three, not three spelled out.
Our last podcast on today's sampler comes from the J10 Initiative and Four Priests from Denver. Their podcasts can be found by searching Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is their episode titled, Be Bold, Be Brief, Be Seated. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. I'm Father Michael Lawrence Rapp. I am Father Nathan Andrew Goble, and this is Catholic Stuff. Top of the hour, it's 2.15, so... A little chill in the air. A little chill in the The air. The snow is coming this weekend. Yes, uh, what's your over-under prediction for how much snow we're going to get in Denver? I don't know how gambling works. I don't know how odds work. So you pick a number, you pick a number, and I have to say over, under. Like, so say you said, we're going to get 24 inches, I would say under. Or if you said, ah. we're going to get 30 inches, I'd say, I might, I might go over or something like that. All right, 20 inches. 20 inches over. Really? I'm gonna, I I'm, know it's predicting more, but... Are you saying on that one day? Oh, you're talking over the weekend? I, I mean with the storm. Well, the sa- the storm is Saturday night. At present, um, at present, I thought that it said we're getting anywhere between eighteen and twenty-four inches. But yeah, I'm, see, I'm pretty close. Twenty. I'll stick to it. Stick to it. Saturday is what? <gasps> no. Yes. I don't know what you're looking at. Saturday, just, Father Nathan, looking s- at his phone. Saturday just went down to five to nine inches. Shock and surprise. Uh, I'm sticking and, with 20. Yeah, I mean, I already said over. You know, it's... Five to nine inches on Saturday, and then uh, Sunday is now eight to 12. So... Okay. All wow. right. Well, I love snow. Bring it on. That's right. Are you ready? Are you ready for spring? Um, I. Th- it rained last night. It rained last uh, night, yeah. and I, I'm a big fan of rain. Okay. Um, I like the... I like waking up, and there's like a freshness to the earth mm-hmm. um and there's a there's a little bit of a chill in the air um yeah things just you know smell better i feel like you know what i like is the early morning grass on the golf course like fresh cut it's got that dew. birds chirping birds chirping flowers like breezing in the wind you remember I, jesus i like to i like to tell people in confession that um Remember, Jesus says, "Don't be anxious about anything. Mm-hmm. Look at the look at the birds, birds, and look at the flowers." Okay, and I make them do it. Yeah. You have to go every day. You have to go and find a flower or a bird. It's going to take away some of your anxiety. It's like a Mister Miyagi thing. Like for per day, like how long is this penance for? It's not a penance. Oh, you just it's tell just, people. It's just, yeah, it's just a strategy for life. If you had one bird that you could observe for, like, you know, an in-depth study, it was your bird, what would you choose? Well, because they're available here, it's the state bird, lark bunting. The lark bunting. But I actually think my favorite might be the blue jay. Okay. It's just beautiful. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, how'd you get so blue? Blue jays, blue jays are um, much bigger birds than you think, like mm-hmm. compared to robins and. But I don't think we really have them here. They are. Really, the blue jay? Yeah. 
Ooh. I am with a professional bird watcher who has uh, recently declared Schloss Gobels a state park uh, due to the variety of flora and fauna. We just saw an American uh, gaither. An okay, am- I don't know what that is. An, but An American gaither? Is that's that right? right. He does wildlife. He's a big bird watcher. Yeah. Oh, American Widgeon. Sorry. Okay. American Widgeon. Yeah. Stay away from me. <sighs> so, anyways, um, yeah, I don't know where I got Gaither, but um, yeah, American Widgeon. So, yeah, there are there are a, a variety of birds here, and blue jays are one, though rare. I know Father Chris also looks at tracks. He can he can figure out animal tracks. He was very excited the other day because he saw. Um, uh, a set of b- bunny tracks that were paralleled by a coyote. Oh, so the coyote that's like a whole story. Exactly. Ooh, isn't bunny tracks an ice cream too? Yes, which I find uh, very disturbing. I don't. I don't. That, that's not something that I in, like immediately gravitate towards. Because for some reason, when I hear tracks, I just think of scat. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what it is, isn't it? Isn't it supposed to have chocolate chunks or something? Yeah, but then they also <laughs> have like moose tracks. Yeah, moose tracks. And like the, 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 the with moose tracks, you're like, well, that's not. Those are hoof prints, you know. But like uh, bunny tracks, and then they give these like these like chocolate balls of something. It's like no. See, uh, here's the question: Are you? A, yeah, are you? A, <laughs> I don't think about it too hard. But you I a, don't like ice cream either. Are you a boba fan? No. Nope. Yeah. I can tell you, huge tapioca balls, no thanks. Right. Like, never. Just give me the tea. Yeah, like, I enjoy the milk tea, but, like, the boba balls, and then people are sucking it through this ginormous straw. People go crazy for that stuff, though. Oh, they God. love it, man. The people love it. The sound of, of people ingesting boba is, uh, <laughs> I don't think, something that uh, should be Ooh. should be shared. I had this idea once where, well, I mean, you could fit this into the tracks. I had I had this idea once where I wanted to get, like, disturbing sounds and turn them into fun and positive um, dance tracks. So, like, I was going to record the sounds at the dentist, that, oh. and uh, zzz, zzz, all these scary things, and then put them into, a, like, a, sure you know, electronic dance track. Try to try to recover these things, make them positive for people, because they dread going to the dentist. Why? Do you think you could make a dance track out of? <laughs> yes, dude. Oh. I could I could groove to that thing. Is that the boba? No, that's just like you know that sound when it's just like, ugh. <laughs> I don't like. What that. is it? Dehydration. Okay. Lip smacking okay. or whatever. Anyways, we've sufficiently grossed out our our um, <laughs> our fan base at this time. Somebody, um, it was a long time ago. Uh, it was in Prayer in Action. Do you remember this Prayer in Action in uh, Craig with uh, Father Scott Bailey? Um, I remember the occasion. Yeah. I so they they recorded a sound. They recorded a sound, and they would play it once for the kids, and they had to dis- they had to guess what the sound was from, and they would give clues. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? Oh no. No, I have no idea. It was it was similar to that sound except it was the sound of someone stirring Kraft mac and cheese. Ooh. 
so now like, I'm now I'm curious about what that sounds like. I'll I'll phone Father Scott Bailey. Yeah, he's probably got it his ringtone. I was thinking this was going to be like you know, remember that game where they it was like uh, name a tune or what it was it called? Yes, name that tune. Name I can that name tune. that tune in five notes. But I always thought that this was this one you get clues. Well, they did that for name that tune too. They would tell you something about it, and then like uh, you would be really. Um, you'd be really, you know, jazzy if it was like, I can name that tune in two notes uh, because most of the time they knew it from the clue versus the actual tune. But You know what we did the other day? We did, um, Father Joseph doesn't love board games yes. all too much. He plays, he, he indulges. But the we played, there was a couple who came over and they brought Blockbuster, this game about movies and movie rental movies. Oh, yeah. And... He loved Father it. Joseph was killer, man. Yeah. That was his game. It probably it was it. so good. Yeah. And it was like that. Like you can name just a one word from the movie and he's got it. Amazing. <laughs> Who True brought pro. that? Was that uh the Hellers? The Hellers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Father Joseph Lejoie would be excellent at that. He knows just random, random movies. Yeah. Movie guy. Trivia. All right. Well, uh, today uh, I want to do a, a talk a little bit on prayer, um, but it's going to be a short topic because we are going to talk about holy aspirations or yeah. otherwise known as prayerful invocations or as some people describe them, pious ejaculations. Ejaculations, yeah. Which is, uh, these are all acceptable names. The most important thing is that we... Uh, we have these brief phrases that can be prayed um, almost as one breathes, and uh, you can just say them throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite prayerful invocation? Uh, what, what would I call it? Aspiration. Aspiration. Or pious ejaculation. I think my, if I, if, I don't know if this counts, Jesus, I trust in you. mm I'll do that. I'll do that repeatedly. I'll do that occasionally if I feel stressed out, if I feel anxious, if I'm afraid, if I have something that, you know, people wanted me to pray for. Jesus, yeah. I trust in you. I love it. Yeah. The most recent one that I've that I've taken into my vocabulary is that surrender prayer. We got to do a podcast on that at some point, but uh Don Rotolo um and uh, he oh, has this yeah. surrender novena that's uh, super popular. Shout out to um, full of grace, USA. Um, she's the lady that uh, publicizes those surrender novena. Lisa, this um, is a Sicilian priest. Uh, he's from Naples. Yeah, no. he's the guy who Padre Pio said go talk to him. He's yeah. holy. He's like, why? Why are you talking to me? You have you have Don Rotolo. Yeah. So uh, the surrender novena, it the the mantra or the 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 thing that is prayed over and over is, um, Oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Nice. And um, I just, I, I I learned this in part, like, uh, just over time, like, I not only do I want to surrender myself, but I want to surrender the situation. And I just say, you know, Jesus, take care of everything. Like, whatever this is, this conversation, this person, Jesus, take care of everything. And I, as I do it, I find that I am less fixated on it. Because oftentimes, maybe you have the same sense with Jesus, I trust in you, that you're really nervous or anxious or like there's not much you can do about the situation so you're like mentally like turning it over and over in your mind 
And just that simple way of of offering it back to uh, the Lord through that simple prayer actually lessens your grip on it and more fully surrenders it or places it in the care of perhaps the one ultimately who can actually do something about it. Yeah. And I think for for me, in addition to that, of that reality, it helps me with perspective because I do trust Jesus and I can forget that maybe, or just Mm -hmm. forget like God is ultimately much bigger than I am and um, can do things that I can't and and has everything in his providence. He's got the whole world in his hands. You remember that? In his hands. It's true though, right? He's got the sisters and our brothers. In in his his hands. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the kind of perspective that I occasionally need to just step back Mm -hmm. and back into, you know, the spiritual world. Because I get wrapped up into this whole busy mundial. Yeah. To quote Daft Punk. And is it, is it, sorry. okay, go ahead and quote Well, Daft I mean, Punk. they say, you know, uh, let the music of your life give life back to music. So, I mean, that could be another, you know, oh, yeah. they, they repeat that over and over. So, I mean, I think there is a way in which, like, uh, just by by doing it, like, you, you find that you discover the very thing that you were hoping for in the first place which is I want Jesus to take care of this. I want to trust more in Jesus. Actually, I do trust in Jesus. Um, there is a power in positive thinking um, and just placing that idea in your mind as as a sure peg where you can just say, I have trust in Jesus. I'm going to place my trust in Jesus. And by doing this, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust more in the one I already trust. Instead of, what am I going to do about that? What if, what happens if that person like says this? Or what what if this goes wrong? And oh, I got to anticipate this. I mean, there's just so many ways. In which, and it's asking for his help too. I mean, yeah. It's, instead it's of just, just you figuring it out. So the yeah, I, I agree with the power of positive thinking. I just wouldn't want it to become a, like an alternative branch of the secret. You remember the secret? The secret. Secret is like if you think positively, you will Ooh. change everything. Oh, I didn't know that. Which is. Kind of a secular, I don't know, Oprah, you know, think good thoughts, rose rose glasses. But it's not real. You know, it, the thing is, when you trust in Jesus, it is real. Jesus is real, and he really can do things. He can. I can't. Right. But he can. So what I like about what you're saying and what I think that these pious aspirations are pointing towards is these are truths that we can actually place before God in the sure hope that uh, He will hear us, like He'll He'll listen to our listen to our prayer, and uh, He ultimately is the one who has the power to save. I don't. Positive thinking is if I think it long enough, it'll happen. Like right. I'm not I'm gonna, I'm not going to think skinny. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. some of that is true. I mean, other people would disagree, but it's like, like in certain circumstances, I don't need to be the one to figure it out. Yep. Jesus is ultimately the one who's going to be able to handle it. And I'm actually responsible for just giving it to him. And there's so much out of our control. You know, if I, if I take this psychologically and I'm thinking on like anxiety or stress or something like that, worry, 
we have evolved for a very long time, human beings, under the impression that we have to protect ourselves. And when you're in survival mode and your body is trained that way, your physiology, your uh, psychology, everything has this momentum of of a whole state of evolution that's on the defensive. Um, what happens is you develop this ultra sensitivity to things so that you your body responds to any little threat, any confusion, any uh, anything that could bother you with this sense of I need to control this. I can control this. I have to because there's no you know nothing else around. Your body wants to do that just immediately and your mind goes there. But you can't control everything. You can you can control very little, frankly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this the Lord gives us this invitation be in my presence, walk with me, and I'll take care of things. And um, that changes a person. Yeah. Absolutely changes a person. And this is a good way to kind of stay aware of that and stay in that um, mindset, practice that virtue. Now, I was wondering, the, the two prayers that we mentioned both use the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. which I think itself is very powerful in this way. Very simple and powerful prayer. Um is that the case with all of these? I don't know if you're no. going to no. mention more. I was going to I was going to read some of them. Uh, this is from the the Handbook of Indulgences. You know, check it out from your local library. Don't take my word for it. Ba-da-bum. Um. So the the Book of Indulgences says uh, a partial indulgence is granted to the faithful who, in the performance of their duties like work, uh, housework, leisure, driving. Uh, just, you know, kind of rolling around in your heart, who in the performance of their duties and in bearing the trials of life raise their mind with humble confidence to God, adding, even if only mentally, some pious invocation. The first grant is intended uh, to serve as an incentive to the faithful to put into practice the commandment of Christ that they must always pray and not lose heart. And at the same time, as a reminder, so to perform their respective duties as to preserve and strengthen their union with Christ. So here is an example of some. There's a list of 60 or so in in this. In this, I, Maybe what we'll do is I'll make a copy of it and then post it online. You can just pick it. That'd be great, so, yeah. Um, so here are some examples. My God, O oh God, come to my aid. My God and my all, teach me to do your will because you are my God. O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, which is you know, the Jesus prayer, mm-hmm. or Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I believe in you. I love you, Lord. Your kingdom come as the Lord wills. Comfort me, Lord. Save me, Lord. O Lord, spare me. Great are you, O Lord. Father, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus, my Lord and my God, Merciful Lord Jesus, grant them everlasting rest. Heart of Jesus, burning with love for us, and flame our hearts with love for you. Heart of Jesus, I place my trust in you. Heart of Jesus, all for you. Hail, O cross, our only hope. Jesus, Mary, Joseph. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, I give you my heart and my soul. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, assist me in my last agony. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, may I sleep and rest in peace with you. Mary, Maria, Holy Mary, Ave Maria, 
May the Virgin Mary, together with her loving child, bless us. Saint, whatever, pray for us. These are all ones that you can just try. Uh. I mean, like, and instead of doing all of them, like 20 different ones, just pick a different one. Yeah. And, and dedicate a day. Like, on Wednesday, I'm going to pray, you know, to the Holy Family. There's a prayer that I learned... I think I was up in Fargo. Jesus and Mary, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, we love you very much. Please save souls and unborn children. Oh, yeah. And there's just times where it's just like throughout my day, throughout my work, you know, just like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that 10 times just to reconnect. Just as I would, you know, like, you know, texting a friend or something like that. It's like probably not a good idea to be texting, you know, a friend while you're driving. So I'm just going to text my spiritual friends. This one is... Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, from your list, I like that. I think you should go through the list and even just the list of Father Nathan just read, you can just play it over again and then ask yourself what jumps out to me. I really liked um, Heart of Jesus, I Give You All. Mm-hmm. all I never you. heard that. All for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's another one I use is um, Jesus, I Love You Very Much, Have Mercy on Me, a Sinner. Mm-hmm. And... um Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Yeah. I pray those two. But these, yeah, that's, there's a beautiful little, um, I, I like that there's an indulgence attached to them too. Mm-hmm. So you're, you can just pray these without a whole cause. You know, we, we set it up in the context of like, okay, well, when I'm worried or when I need something. Sure. But even just to pray these things for the good of the world. Yeah the good of souls the good of your own heart yeah just to allow it to abide like you know you can even make your own like you know jesus abide with me holy spirit i need you but as you pray that like it's almost like breathing you're inspiring you know this this desire for for the presence of the lord or for the presence of the saints or the for the presence of some attribute and then you're also breathing out, like, I, I give this prayer, and then I hope to receive. A friend of mine was having trouble sleeping the other day, going through a difficult time, and uh, she just said, peace, over and over. Mm. And it was the, not just, like, to calm herself. It was like, Lord, this is what I ask for, peace, peace. And then it came. Yeah. Not perfectly. You know, it didn't make her forget all of her troubles, but she was able to rest for a bit. Do you think there are ones that are like shared and communal? Because I'm thinking of, in some ways we say, praise God, you know, something good happens or, mm-hmm. you know, if someone, I don't want to like make it about me, but if someone says, that was a great homily, Father, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or thanks for that word that really spoke to me, I usually just say, praise God. Because I don't know that, I think God speaks through us a lot. And not just through priests or whatever, but through Christians. And to recognize that and to celebrate it. So it's not to say, no, 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 whatever. But to celebrate it, but to celebrate it in the right context of like pointing in the direction. Mm-hmm. There's this um, Arabic practice of saying Alhamdulillah, where if something goes well, you just say, thanks be to God. Hmm. You know, And that's both Muslim and Christian, but just in Arabic kind of culture. What was it again? Alhamdulillah. Nice. Yeah. 
It's, but I, I'm wondering if, like, can you think of any that are are shared cultural norms that way? I think, I mean, it's Lent, but, you know, we're we're teaching. I think Alleluia is one of them. Yeah. I think, you know, when, when, you, when you receive, like, good news and, you know, like, you want to rejoice, I think that cross-culturally, like, there's a way in which, like, that's our song of triumph. That's our mutual uh, delight. I mean, I, yeah. even as as even as um, as you know, you 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 mentioned like people, you know, giving thanks for something that you did or whatever. That would actually be a beautiful invocation, even to yourself. It's just like heart of Jesus, all for you. You know, like it's uh, that's why I do this. Not in it for the praise. Yeah, and that's shorter. I like that as a kind of a norm because I do often pray in the mornings. I dedicate all my thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. Yeah. But to think of to the greater glory of God throughout the day, for some reason, is not probably as easy as all for you. I think you could just say all for you, and they know, you know what that, who's that, that's going to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of shorthand. I'm trying to think of Jesus in the, he does say, Abba, um, Father, I give you thanks. I think he teaches them to pray simple things like Abba. You know, when Paul talks about how the Christian prays, mm-hmm. it's pretty simple like that. Well, and part of the reason why that I got inspired by this topic was I was talking to Ricky Fitzsimmons. Do you remember Linda Fitzsimmons from yeah, the Yeah, I do. So, uh, Where is she at? I always love that girl. She is. The, she's retired. She's living the dream. They just had their anniversary. So God bless they got, you, they got grandbabies. Nice. They're happy. So... Um, but uh, Ricky is a, a lawyer by trade, and uh, we still love him. And uh, uh, one of the things he was talking about was, you know, what the, the rules are for public speaking. The three Bs. Be, one. Be brief. Two. Be bold. Be seated. Oh, yeah. So uh, part of the reason why I like that is like, Lord, I don't need long, drawn-out prayers. I just need to say one prayer with devotion and to mean it. And if, even if I don't like fully understand it, I'm going to say it until I do mean it. And so even these prayers like are a way of just saying like, we're going to be bold. Mm -hmm. We're going to be brief. And then we're going to be seated. Like, and actually say like, I've said enough, you know, or I've said what I want to say, even in this, this little thing. So I like that. When you go to the judge, be brief do not make your prayers long and winded like those of mm-hmm. the Pharisees. Right. Be bold with confidence. Let us approach the throne of grace and be seated. That's it. Silence. Well, Jesus said, Jesus sat down and all the eyes of the temple looked upon him. Yeah. As a, that's what I was asking Father Mike, this passage from Luke 4. Jesus, Jesus said, you know, he reads this sc- scroll unrolls the scroll, reads the scripture passage, and then he's seated, and all the eyes look upon him, and he says one line. Today, today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop. Yeah. He just, doesn't even explain much. He just no, says. No. He doesn't say, today in the gospel. we." <laughs> so that's my yeah. encouragement to everybody. We're coming up on the last days of Lent or the early days of Easter. I don't know when this is coming out. But uh, be brief, be bold, be seated, find a pious invocation, offer it to the Lord. Amen. I like that. I'm going to, so I'm working with marriage prep couples, and we've been talking about marriage prep 
lot of people loving the Catholic stuff, talking about marriage prep. But I, the, free, they're frequently asking, how do we pray? How do we pray together? And uh, I think this is one that's possible. Something very simple like this even. You know, you're going to want to have a kind of rule of prayer that is like regular prayers. You pray with your kids before you go to sleep and, you know, meal prayers and everything. But even just to share that, find ways to share in these little prayers. Mm -hmm. Or even to find your favorites and share that with your spouse. Like let them know how you pray with these little things. Mm -hmm. They're very telling about where someone's heart is. Yep. All right. I got one shout out. I'm going to be brief and be bold. Uh, I was up at Cabrini Shrine uh, 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 leading the seminarians on retreat. And uh, this car pulled pulled past. And I was like, man, that's a pretty sweet car. Like red, slick looking Hyundai. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and then the car kind of rolled past. Like, and I grabbed something from the house and then came back in the other direction. And the dude saw me walking again. And he rolled down the window and he goes, um, do you need a ride? And I was kind of like man, like if this guy has candy, I might get in his car, you know, and, <laughs> don't do it. And stranger uh, danger. And he's like, he's like, do you need a ride? I was like, no, I'm good. I'm just, you know, I'm just, this is my house. Like for this is my, where I'm leading retreat. And he goes, are you father Nathan? I'm like, Uh-oh. yep. And he goes, that's crazy. I just started listening to the podcast. So this guy's named, uh, will from Buffalo. Uh, so he was just in town. Um, he's just started listening to the podcast and, um, random running so to bill thanks for um you know trying to get me in your car but um i was good so you didn't go with him no i was just walking that was good yeah thanks bill thanks bill a good samaritan offers a ride Mm -hmm. to a poor and lonely straggler i have a text message that i got that got buried in a bunch of my stuff and i feel really sad about it and apologetic it says This is from uh, Linda at the office. Good morning, Father Mike. You got a message left last night. They did not leave a name. Here's what he said. He and his wife are coming into Denver the 4th till the 7th and would like to meet you, even for a few minutes. They are from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. They belong to the Ministry Community of Beatitudes. Yes. Here's the number. He called me. Whoever you are, I'm sorry that I only looked at this on the 8th and you must have come and gone. Well, and I was, I, I didn't get back into the office until the 8th as well and then, uh, you know, missed him. So, well, so yeah, I do have a phone number here and I am going to call it. So, good man. shout out in the meantime. There you go. Hope, All right. Thank you for whatever your ministry of the Beatitudes is. That's right. All for. You. All for you. All sacred, for you. Sacred heart. Sacred heart. All for you. Folks, laters. Amen. That's all the time we have for Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. This week's question, how many people can fit in a Honda? The Bible tells us that all 12 apostles were in one accord. Until next time, I'm Kent Lanford. Be holy. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.